Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Midweek VanCast for you here, Jay Patton Drancer and Tom, can you... Feel it? Can you feel the anticipation of the lottery balls? And uh, it is draft lottery day. Although I don't know if there's a ton of anticipation. Zero when hype. This I is know. the zero hype draft lottery, and it's because the Owen Power sweepstakes just hasn't captured people's attention. Like he didn't play at the World Junior Tournament. You know what I mean? Like I don't think people, and I mean your casual hockey fan in Canada. Or even your hardcore hockey fan in Canada. I don't think they've had eyes on him the same way you would, you know, a normal year first round pick, right? Like you would have, you know, I mean, a guy who was at Michigan, it was like frozen four and, you know, like there'd be touch points or, or, and certainly a guy playing college hockey would have played you for the U20 team in a normal year at the world championships and would have been watched and talked about and broken down on TSN and, I mean, that just didn't happen this year. We, no one's seen him. No one's seen him if, unless you're, you know, like in the scouting community. Like, forget being a hardcore hockey fan. You can cover the game you've never seen Owen Power play. And that's uh, and that, I think, does significantly tamp down the stakes and the feeling around this particular draft lottery. I think you're right on all of those things. I also think that there's a couple of things. One is, I think the draft lottery... To me, it kind of jumped the shark last year with the placeholders and having to have a second draft lottery. Yeah. Um, I mean, I loved you know, it. They, I thought that was the best episode ever. Well, it was because that second one, the placeholder one, was an actual televised lottery where eight balls went in right. and they drew one. And I still think there are a lot of people that don't understand why it's behind closed doors. And I was thinking like on the podcast last year at this time, I mean, you regaled us with the stories of food and cocktails, uh, you know, in the actual lottery room where it takes place. Yeah. Yeah. But 
you know, then it becomes a television product of Bill Daly standing there with a stack of cards and just flipping the logos. And, you know, there isn't a whole lot. Like, there's drama, but there isn't a lot of theater in in that part of the procedure. Like, I, I do think people would love to see it as lottery balls bouncing around and boom, there's your winner. Uh, unfortunately, there's just way too many combinations and there's all the codes that are involved. And so, you know, the, the draft itself takes place behind the closed doors and uh, you are among the select few that have been there in that room. But I, I just, so I, I, I agree with you that that final eight of the placeholders was terrific drama. Like that was fun. I liked that part, but just the idea of having to have a second one because of placeholders and beyond that, like, I do think that there's draft lottery fatigue in a place like Vancouver, and there has to be in Buffalo, too. Like, this year, if the Canucks don't slide, and there's a 2% chance that they will drop to 11th, but for the sake of this argument, let's say they, they maintain a top 10 pick. I mean, this is going to be the seventh time in the last nine drafts that the Canucks have had a top 10 selection. Horvat, Vertanen, Yulevi, Pedersen, Hughes, Podkolzin, and this time around. And I, I get it. If people are sort of tired of being in this state every year, uh, I can totally understand draft lottery fatigue in a market like this one. Beaten down by the draft lottery. The, <laughs> the, the Vancouver hockey fans regard the draft lottery with the dread that Toronto regards the first round. It is an inevitability <laughs> that the Canucks will not win. Do not get your hopes up. Abandon all hope, ye who tune in to the NHL draft lottery in the 604. There is nothing good that comes from this for the Canucks. But that's okay. They're going to get a really good player at 10, and they shouldn't trade the pick. Uh, I, th I don't think. I mean, I just, you know, go read that State of the Canucks farm system piece from Monday. They cannot trade this first-round pick, especially when there's so many, so much uncertainty and, and some really good prospects, some really good, interesting players, especially, you know, four defensemen. And when you're in the 10-hole, you kind of get who falls, Right? Like, you, whoever falls, you get. Sure. And But that's fine. There's some really good players. Like, this this North Vancouver kid. I know he's not really from North Vancouver, J-Pad, but I'm going to keep <laughs> keep up with this bit. This Kent Johnson kid, you know, like, he's he's as sure a thing as you're going to find in this draft. Like, the, he, he's a dynamic offensive player. Right? Really dynamic. And his production this past year of college hockey with, you know, COVID sort of qualifiers applying because it was a weird season everywhere. But I mean, compares to the very best we've seen at the same age from guys like Phil Kessel and guys like Jonathan Taves and, you know, guys like uh, Colin White. Um, like he's a really good prospect. Almost everyone who does as a, as a first time draft eligible player, what he did becomes, you know, a meaningful NHL player, a meaningful NHL player. And, you know, that's the type of guy you know, the Canucks could certainly use. I mean, goes without saying, a guy like Mason McTavish drawing comparisons in the scouting world to a Ryan O'Reilly, right? Maybe maybe he can play center if he can add some explosiveness and pop in his stride like Bo Horvat did, right? Like, that's the type of player that you can maybe get at 10. Like, he might fall. Very, very well might fall. That Edvinson kid. Luke Hughes might be available at 10. I actually think Luke Hughes is the best of the non-power division of defensemen in terms of what the Canucks need and are looking for uh, but Edmondson's like a six foot five guy flashy um obviously Brant Clark right-handed defenseman you'd think that's the right fit for the Canucks but he didn't have the greatest U18 tournament we know Jim and John Weisbrod were there 
Um, does that sort of impact things? Who knows? But you know, it's uh, it's an interesting class, and obviously, I've begun to dig into it. Like I've begun to dig into it. I've begun to do some statistical work, especially at the top of the class in preparation for tonight. Uh, I think I, I, it's not a loaded class. This is not the you know 2015 draft class again, uh, or the 2003 draft class. Um, but it's really good. How good is that 2000? 15 draft class, by the way, we need to, we need to discuss this. Like I, when I, when I crunched the numbers and I realized that Brock Besser is just slightly ahead of Kyle Connor in points per game and Brock Besser and Kyle Connor, like stud first line wingers are sixth and seventh in, in scoring rates in just the first round. <laughs> it's like, geez, what a, what a loaded class that th- th- this is not that by any means, but at 10, the Canucks are still going to get a really good player here. And look, that's, meaningful um like that's meaningful especially because that's that's your reward for the season you just suffered through i like this draft because there isn't a consensus number one like owen power was ranked number one by central scouting among north americans but like i see jd uh has matt Beneers, the center out of michigan as his first pick he doesn't think there's much doubt now maybe it comes down to who's holding that first pick and and you know, some teams may value the natural center. Beneers sounds like the best true natural center at the top of the draft. But, you know, you mentioned Owen Power. Like, first of all, how can you go wrong with a guy with that name? Although I'm going to call him Austin Powers. I know I will. Um, <laughs> and I, I, I won't be alone. But, but like, you know, just the, the power play and everything. Like, you're just going to – we're all going to get tired of hearing about that part. Oh, but, right. Like, being, being compared to, you know, Victor Hedman – uh, you know, six six two eighteen or whatever he is as a an eighteen year old. Like, you know, the physical attributes are incredible. So it, it does feel like it would be tough to look past that. I mean, let's play this game then, uh, because it's the last day we can do this. We'll know where the Canucks are slotted. Uh, but up until the lottery balls fall, you know, if the Canucks were to win the lottery, which they're not going to do, but if yeah, they're not going to do this. If the Canucks were to win the lottery, they would be like it would be unfortunate for them because they would win the draft lottery on the day the world ends. <laughs> we would all fall into a hole of nothingness because this cannot be permitted. Glitch in the Matrix style. But the answer is Owen Power. And and I guess you, you come back to the argument you can never have too much of you know, one commodity, like, yeah, they've got Quinn Hughes and Jack Rathbone on the left side. Here's a left shot defenseman, but then it frees up opportunities, I suppose, to either absolutely stack the left side of your defense or, uh, you know, maybe it frees up uh, the possibilities of uh, making some moves that can help you address other areas of your hockey club. I, I just think Owen, what, what power does is too rare, right? Like you're talking about six foot five guy who's, still going to fill out, right? This is not like a guy who you see and it's immediately like, oh, this guy's got a beard and he's 30 years old. And you know what I mean? Like this is a guy who still has some development physically to go through, but he's still just got this mammoth frame, not lanky, can skate really well, has some offensive tools, like has more more than some offensive tools, like is a slick player in terms of the actual skill set you know, has, has some meanness to his game. Like, man, you just don't find guys like that. Like that is an incredibly rare collection of attributes. Um, you know, Benier, uh, or sorry, uh, Beniers is 
you know, also a really safe bet. Like, I don't, I don't think you can go wrong with either player, but I just think that when you consider what you want from a first round pick, you know, it's like uh, when you get, well, sorry, first overall pick, when you get first overall pick, it's like magic, right? It's like, holy cow, <laughs> you know, th- you got to take the guy who's almost unlike anyone, like who people compare to Hedman because they have no other frame of reference because we just don't see guys like this come along. You got to pick the true unicorn as opposed to, you know, hey, this guy's the best forward prospect and looks like he'll play center in the NHL. But, like, lots of people aren't even sure that um, Veneers is going to be a, be a top-line caliber center or, like, an elite center. Uh, so, to me, you just go with the, the rarer piece at the top of, you know, when you get an opportunity like that. That's, that's my view, but, you know, we'll see how it shakes out. I read this the other day, and, and I was, quite frankly, I was shocked. You've got Power, you've got Veneers, you've got Kent Johnson – all play at Michigan. Yeah. No NCAA program has ever produced three players in the same first round of an NHL draft, and you've got three here that, is that are likely to go in the top ten. Plus, you got Luke. You've got Luke Hughes, who's on his way to Michigan, uh, but he doesn't count. But I just like when you think of you know the programs at Minnesota and Michigan and all the Boston area schools. I, I don't know. I was blown away by that fact that no program has ever produced three in the same first round. And here you're going to get three that go in the top 10. The other thing about this draft, and it's all cyclical, but Dylan Genther, who's a right winger with the Edmonton Oil Kings, he's the only Western leaguer in the top 10. There are only three Western hockey leaguers rated among Central Scouting's North American in the top 30. Like, I know it's a weird year, but this is a weird part of a weird year to see that few Western leaguers, uh, you know, ranking high for an NHL draft. That is weird. Um, I don't have a, I don't have an explanation for that. The, you know, there, there's more Western kids, right? It's just that they took different routes. I mean, in, in terms of North Vans, Kent Johnson and, <laughs> yes, and, um, but yeah, no, I don't really, um, I don't really understand the, I don't, I don't really And I'm not sure that there is an, I'm, no, you know, I'm not sure it needs an explanation. Yeah. It's just, it, yeah, this is one of those things. But, you know, we're, we, in a normal year, as you said, there'd be so much focus on, you know, the Vancouver Giants players that are perhaps in, in, you know, in line to be drafted. And from that, you know, other Western leaguers and guys that have come through Vancouver to play. And it, it's just one of those years. So yeah. just remember the name Dylan Genther. Uh, he's likely to be a top 10 guy. Uh, but outside of that, this is not a banner year for the Western Hockey League at all. Although, although, also remember Olin Zellweger. That guy. That guy is. That guy should not go after the first round, but he probably will. That's that's a guy who's going to play. That, that guy is sick. Last alphabetically. Yes. Tops of your charts. Yeah. Top. 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 Like sleeper watch for me. That guy's like. Whatever team, whatever team takes him at like fifty is going to get a very, very big like wow, what great value tweet from me is it like it's the only name I recognize in the last twenty selected like wow, unreal. <laughs> As I pretend to know what I'm talking about. When I mentioned the drafty here in Vancouver, the other thing that just boggles my mind, and again we've been there every step of the way, we've seen it, uh, but the Buffalo Sabers. They've got the best chance of winning this thing, this lottery. They're going to get a top pick, right? Like, they've no got the best odds third. going in. No worse than third. 
This will be the ninth straight year. Ninth straight year that the Sabres have had a top eight pick, including first overall once and second overall twice. And look at the tire fire they are. Unbelievable. And they still have all those picks in their system. It's not like they have moved on from guys. Like they're so you add one here, you essentially nine of your skaters are top eight picks in the NHL, and you're still just an absolute mess of a franchise. <laughs> uh yeah. I mean, maybe it takes more than an army, J Pat. My God, that is <laughs> wild. That's wild. I don't uh, even that that's inexplicable. Like that's that's just what happens when you fail in you know you know what though at the top of the draft you should get good players right almost always and the buffalo sabers have like sam reinhardt's a good player uh jack eichel's obviously a good player rasmus dalian's obviously a good player i mean a lot of these guys are really good players um but the draft is not everything right like the draft is one very important node of player acquisition but there's also free agency there's also trades right there's also player development. There's what you do with these players once you get them in their system. There's maximizing, you know, all, all the pieces coming through. And no matter how well you draft, if you fail elsewhere, right, you're, you're still not going to win the Stanley Cup. Like, you know, I saw the study that uh, Harmon Dial and Scott Wheeler did at The Athletic this week. And, you know, no surprise to me, the Anaheim Ducks were top of the charts, right? No surprise to me. I've, I've, I think we've, I've even discussed this on the podcast, how well they've drafted over the past 20 years, right? But that that might be arguably the worst team in hockey this year because if you look at the bottom of the standings, the bottom three is the Anaheim Ducks and two teams that had massive COVID outbreaks, right? Um, it doesn't matter if you fritter those pieces away. Like if you, if you draft a top-line center in the second round, and a top pair defenseman late in the first round, but they end up playing on your division rival <laughs> because of because of you know the way you manage your assets. Like that doesn't help you. In fact, it hurts you. Um, that's the Anaheim Ducks, right? Like that's exactly how it goes. You you need to do so much more than just draft well in the contemporary NHL to build a really really great team. Um, we've seen that from Tampa Bay, who can't hit in the first round. We've seen that from Carolina. They're probably the best drafting team the last ten years. Um, it's, it's more than the draft and it's really important to keep that in mind. The draft matters a ton. It will kill you if you keep missing, like the, the draft will kill you if you keep missing, but to be really good at it is insufficient to then be a great team. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily with 24 seven us based live customer service from discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
All right, Tom, you laid it out. It's posted at The Athletic now. The headline is, Every Canucks first-round pick ranked from the Sedins to Dan Woodley. Poor Dan Woodley. Uh, bringing up the rear in the uh, draft rankings. I love sort of the, the categories, though. Uh, as much as where players are slotted within your rankings, you've got the Hall of F- the future Hall of Fame tier, you've got the superstar tier, uh, and then it kind of goes from there uh, to guys that made it. Guys that became players. I think that might have been my favorite tier <laughs> in, in your rankings. Well, it's a, very ho- a it's a very hockey he's, thing, right? Like, yeah, he's a player. He's, he's a guy. He became a player. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, Jim Sandlack, he played. He did, absolutely yeah. he did. Yeah, and like, you know, some of these guys had long careers, right? Like, and <laughs> I like downgrading it too, to like became a low-end player. Like, he kind of became a player. <laughs> um, I, I guess for me, in 50 years of history, when you read through this, you know, again, it shows how thin... Uh, those top couple of tiers ultimately are from a franchise perspective. Yeah, there's, you know, there's been a lot of, there's been a lot of losing in Vancouver over the years, right? And there hasn't been a ton of, yes, there has. ton of great picks. And so you've got, you know, sort of eras of misses. Like in the 80s, you have this crazy run of defensemen, right? Where they just like, they just drafted defensemen high every year. So you've got, this run of guys that's like um, right after where Cam Neely's the only sort of <clears throat> forward who sort of interferes with it, but it's like <clears throat> Rick Lands, 1980, Garth Butcher, 81, Michael Pettit, 82, Cam Neely, 83, JJ Dangyo, 84, you know, and it's just like, None of those defensemen were stars, right? Like, I guess Rick Lands had put up points, but the other guys were kind of like stay-at-home defenders, even though Daniel could skate. And obviously we know the club didn't make anything of Cam Neely. They completely misused him um, and then traded him horrifically. And But yeah, I mean, you know, if you have a run drafting stay-at-home defensemen four or five years, like, guess what the 80s are going to look like for you? You know, like I don't, there's not a ton of suspense here. And then, and then you sort of go into another era of Canucks sort of screw ups, but you know, the, the like Antosky and Alex Stojanov and Libor Polishek and then Mike Wilson, that's a run of four straight years in the Pat Quinn era, like at the tail end of the Pat Quinn era. And it's like, yeah, no kidding. The team ran out of steam in the late nineties, right? Like you can't. Again, this is what this is what this is where you get killed is those runs where you just get nothing out of it, right? Um, I mean, the Canucks' lack of drafting success continued through the '90s with Josh Holden and then Brad Ferentz, and then you know Brian Allen wasn't a terrible pick. Obviously, we know the Twins helped, but then the first sort of years of the Brian Burke era too, right? Nathan Smith in 2000, R.J. Umberger who never signs in 2001. They don't have a pick in 2002. And then, you know, you go into a run of decent picks with Kessler and Schneider and Bourdain. But, I mean, overwhelmingly, <laughs> the history of Canucks draft picks is a sordid tome. And, you know, it, it deserves to be recognized, I think, that a lot, like, how many how many picks did Jim Benning have in the top ten? Three? Like, three. He's got three in the top ten from the last seven drafts. Um, you know, and, and that's a commentary more 
I mean, I mean, it's a good reflection on the Canucks' current general manager. It's clear that the club is drafted much better under his, you know, watch. But it's also a pretty sordid reflection of everything that came before, right? Wait, hang on. Sorry. He's had the last, well, Vertanen, Ulevi, Pedersen, Hughes, Pat Colson. Right. They're all top tens. No, sorry, sorry. I mean, in the top ten of my rankings. Like oh, this, oh, yeah. Okay, 51 sorry. years of Canucks history gotcha. here. And I've got Hughes, Pedersen, and... Oh, sorry, Besser narrowly missed, and Besser's 12. So, you know, but three of the top 12 just from the last seven classes. Like, that's right. yep. that's wild. Um, <clears throat> that's wild. And, yeah, I mean, there's some misses there too, right? Like, I, I've, I have Vertanen and Yolevi in the 30s, and I have Pod Colson just sort of in the middle of the order because I, I had, you know, some what-ifs that I needed to address, and I figured it made the most sense to put the guy I'm uncertain with, with those, two, with those other guys. But, you know, I mean, that's, that's a really tough reflection on an organization that's, you know, really struggled in this particular area of player acquisition historically. And, and, you know, the, str- the struggles historically are <clears throat> even worse than you remember. Like we know that we know that the Gillis era has been crushed pretty repeatedly for, um, you know, poor drafting. And that run of first rounders like Hodgson, Schroeder, Gauntz, and Jensen, you know, like that is unappealing, right? Like that is unappealing. Between Hodgson and Horvat, you really don't get a meaningful NHL contributor of that group, out of that group. And yet when you compare it with, you know, some of the runs that I listed, <laughs> it's like far, far from the worst sins of Canucks drafting history, right? Like. The, the late 70s is really ugly. The early 80s is really ugly. The early 90s, really ugly. Those first Burke years, really ugly. Um, you know, the, the run of Gillis picks, many of whom failed to move the needle, like barely registers as a blip of bad drafting. You know, like it's not, it's, it's not even in the top three or four worst stretches in, in Canucks history. Um, which again, goes to show you that, you know, Become a Canucks fan at your peril. <laughs> right. And according to your rankings, like you've got 20 guys that are became a low-end player or worse. Like there was became a low-end player, there was organization organizational depth, and then there was bust. 20 of the the power of the 49 on the yeah, list. 49. So essentially four, 40% of the Canucks first rounders. <laughs> that is suboptimal. Now, how did <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> the the bottom five on the list are, and people should go and check it out for themselves. Uh, Libor Polasek doesn't even get a write up. Alex Stoyanov, you mentioned Nathan Smith, Patrick White. Well, sorry, I wrote and, up, I wrote up Stoyanov and Polasek together because I found that oh, because right. I found that great IMAC passage quote. Yes, right. <laughs> like like IMAC just crushing the organization, <laughs> and I was just like, oh, I got to put this in. Like you know, it's so good. And how did Dan Woodley slot in behind Patrick White? What was the differentiation between those two? It's because Dan Woodley, even though he played five games and scored two goals, was like they didn't have to make a decision on whether or not to use the pick in 1986 or not until the day of the draft. Like they had a chance to see who was on the board and then decide whether to make that pick or defer it to Boston as part of the compensation in the Cam Neely trade. And so 
you know, the first six names go off the board. The Canucks assess who's left. They say, oh, I can't believe Dan Woodley fell to us. And then they decide to make that pick and give Boston the, their first round pick in 1987. Their first round pick in 1987 ends up being third overall. The Bruins select Glenn Wesley. Wesley plays almost 1,500 NHL games, J-Pat, and sets up a trade tree that extends through 25 years and ultimately leads the Boston Bruins to acquire Milan Lucic at a draft in Vancouver. Uh, Lucic then (laughs) playing a key role in defeating Vancouver in the Stanley Cup final in 2011. The levels of pain rippling out from that insane decision are incalculable, unprecedented in the annals of hockey history. True misery. And, you know, Patrick White was a guy who missed. Dan Woodley was a guy who missed. And that came with additional spillover, like ex- externalities, um, you know, which which just further tortured the Canucks fan base for another 25 years beyond it. Fun read. It's available now at The Athletic. Check it out. And lists are great because they get people talking and reacting and everybody's got their own ideas of where players should slot in. And so uh, I'm sure there's already a bunch of feedback in the comments section there. And I'm sure uh, that will only grow I don't want to go deep on Carl Plaschik. You mentioned the other day, and sure enough, the Canucks confirmed it yesterday, that they have signed Carl Plaschik, who's a left-handed right winger. The thing that jumped out at me in the press release that the Canucks issued yesterday was that Carl Plaschik has 22 points in four seasons in the Czech League. Yep. Now, most of most of those were as a team playing professionally against men and veterans. This guy turns 21 next month. But just the fact that a guy with 22 points in four seasons in the Czech League can earn an NHL contract. That's, that's part of it. The other one was, then I got down this rabbit hole of the Czech League. And I know you wrote about Litvinov and sort of yes. uh, the hockey factory that it has been over the years. But I, I was just, I, like, I couldn't help myself... The age range of players in the Czech League is hilarious. Like, we know Yager, obviously, has gone home and, and played and and lots of other guys. Like, um, Thomas Blakanich played on Plastic's team last year. Right. But, like, two of the top four scorers on the Borno Kamita team that he played, they were 35-year-olds, but the team also had a 16-year-old that played 25 games. <laughs> yeah. Incredible. Like, it's just... There's a oh. bunch of teams that have guys in their early 40s. Like the, it, it really was the age range. Somebody pointed out to me that Carl Plaschik's dad was playing in the Czech fourth division up until a year ago. Well, like as in his mid in his mid 40s. So go cross reference it. Go cross reference it, and you'll see that they played together. They played together a couple of years back in one of the lower Czech leagues, and they played on the line. It. He played on the line professionally with his dad. <laughs> So it would be like a goal from <laughs> the Carl Griffey. Plaschik. The, you know, two, the Griffies. Yeah. Scored by Carl Plaschik, assisted by Carl Plaschik. <laughs> like that happened. That happened for real in the Czech League. Um, yeah, I mean, even, even in the course of compiling my draft rankings, I realized Peter Nedved returned to play a game in the Czech second division in 2019. 2019, <laughs> JPAT. That's 29 years or, or 29 years after his draft year. 29 years, man. And uh, and he and he had two points. He had a goal and an assist in, in a, in a well, game in 2019. Incredible. The guy that led the scoring for Plashik's team this year 
was Peter Mueller, who was a former Arizona right. Coyotes first rounder, yep. played in the NHL, played junior hockey in Everett. Brandon DeFazio, oh, his wow. only two NHL, his only two NHL the games Canucks. were for the Canucks under Willie D. Uh, he played a handful of games on Plastic's team this year. So like it was just, I, I don't know, I spent like half an hour yesterday I was just kind of laughing to myself as I was going through these names and trip down memory lane and you know, hockey DB lists the ages of all these guys, and it just it jumped out at me that the range from early 40s to guys that are in their mid-teens all playing in the same professional league in the Czech Republic. But Carl Plaschik is signed. He's coming here, and we'll see where it goes yeah. and see what the Canucks can get out of a, a sixth-round pick from a few years ago. At the end of the day, you know, the production hasn't been there for him, but there's some physical attributes in his game that the Canucks like. In particular, he's fast. And he's bright, like he's a bright sort of brain in terms of the two-way part of the game. I think the Canucks like that, but they're also aware that this is sort of a, a, a prospect who, if he hits, you know, is more of a third-line type player than, than a guy they're expecting to score a ton of offense. They wanted to get him into the system. I think that's well worth doing. That's, you know, you got you to gotta put Abbotsford to work now that you've brought your team here, now that you're going to go to the expense and trouble of, you know, baking an AHL expansion, or not an ex- expansion franchise, but baking an AHL franchise or organization from scratch, you might as well use it. And so Plashik's come over the, you know, he's going to be at a league minimum ticket um, in terms of uh, in terms of his <clears throat> NHL salary. Uh, you know, he's got some games played bonus, but this is a cap hit that's going to be under 900k, and we'll see if they can, you know, make something out of a guy who's certainly got the wheels and the brain to potentially contribute, but obviously has a long, you know, sort of like he's a project. He's got a long horizon to arrive here. Um, but, but this is, this is what you got to do now. Like this is what you got to do. You're, you've got a team in your backyard. You've got to bring these guys in and see what you can do, um, you know, to mold them into something more than maybe the rest of the industry sees at the moment anyway. And if it goes well for Carl, I was going to say Carl Jr. He could start his own restaurant change, I suppose. <laughs> um, but if it goes well for the younger Plastic, then bring the dad over. And they, they, they would take the Fraser Valley by storm, the marketing opportunities for the Canucks starting their AHL franchise with a father-son combination busting into the American Hockey League. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hey, this is our first pod since uh, we and everybody else in the hockey world was wrong uh, when we recorded on Monday, we both thought that uh, Toronto would figure it out and get it done, and obviously that wasn't the case. Uh, Alex Kerfoot did not rise to the occasion, as uh, you proclaimed he would, but Brendan Gallagher did, so uh, I know we didn't have uh, anything on the line there, but I just wanted to point out that, uh, uh, you know, I threw my dart and it landed on Brendan Gallagher and, and he scored. Yeah, good for you. So, <laughs> I know. I like, but... I like that you were like, everyone was wrong. It's like, no, J-Pat, only I was wrong. <laughs> no, the hockey world thought that the Leafs were going to figure it out 100%. and win, uh, and they didn't, obviously. And credit to Montreal. Like, you know, they got the job done. Leafs are wringing their hands now and sort of trying to figure out where it all went wrong. I think, you know, for the purpose of this pod, though, Tom, you know, it's instructive to look at, like, you know, we, we praised the Toronto Maple Leafs for the way that they had found. You know, veterans on team-friendly deals, and Jason Spetz obviously worked out, but there's lots of questions about uh, Joe Thornton and, and Wayne Simmons and some other guys. And so now the Toronto Maple Leafs are going to be like everybody else. They're all going to be searching for that million-dollar bargain. 
And it just complicates matters for the Vancouver Canucks because the Canucks are, you know, they're like every team that's going to try to find somebody uh, on a value deal that can come in and overproduce for them. But if you're that player, if you've got options and the Toronto Maple Leafs are one of them, like, you know, how enticing, even for all of their playoff failures, like there are still enough pieces there to come back and be a contender again next year. And so, you know, that my, my point is that it just kind of muddies the water for the Canucks because if players have options as UFAs, you know, this is what gets the Canucks in trouble. If they have to outbid other organizations, if players think that they've got a better chance of winning elsewhere, you know, how do you sell the Canucks and where they are? You bump up your offer and, you know, that's something that they're going to have to fight against. Yeah, it is. Well, and I, I do wonder how much the Canadian teams in general, uh, especially in the event that the NHL hasn't committed to having fans in the building, um, you know, like if depending on our VAX rollout nationally and what sort of restrictions are in place, you know, I, I do sort of wonder if Canadian teams could end up at an advantage, a disadvantage when the market opens July 28th, if there's more uncertainty about like, oh, if I sign there, I have to plan an empty building and... You know, like, I, I think that could be a meaningful factor, having watched this playoffs and seen those environments in the United States. Now, now, granted, it looks like the Jets are going to have fans. Montreal had fans. Toronto had some fully vaccinated first responders. So, I mean, it's moving up here, too, and moving quickly. But we're still lagging a little bit behind the United States. And, man, I mean, I, I don't think you can underrate the impact that that could have, too, as sort of a unexpected factor that could influence decision-making. So, you know, there's going to be so much to unpack this offseason in terms of the factors at play. I do think that one advantage the Maple Leafs have, and it's an advantage the Canucks have had in the past too, right, is it means something to a lot of people in the hockey world to play in Toronto, right? Like that is a market that a lot of hockey people are emotionally attached to. Um, Obviously, the Canucks have been able to take advantage of that in the past. You know, less so recently, but... Dan Hamhuis and Jason Garrison and, you know, you, you can sort of go down the list. There have been guys who were dead set on coming to play in Vancouver. Um, you know, that sort of faded over time uh, as the memories of, like, you know, the 2010 Olympics have, have sort of uh, receded. You know, young younger guys don't remember how this city turned out for that, right? Whereas it meant an awful yep. lot to a lot of the vets, even guys like Shea Weber, um, who, were, who were here and saw it. So, you know... I mean, there's so many factors that go into play in in making those decisions. But fundamentally, at the end of the day, what matters most is, will I win? Do I have a chance to win? Can I win there? And, you know, I I still do think that that part in particular is a pitch the Maple Leafs are going to be able to make more credibly than the Canucks, despite the fact that, you know, (laughs) getting out of the first round for them is like, Austin Powers, who, who we've already brought up, sort of trying to make that U-turn in the in the golf cart in uh, in the first movie. <laughs> All right, so the Habs advance; they take on the Jets. We know that you can't stand the Winnipeg Jets. Um, <laughs> it's, I, it's not true. <laughs> I, I I have a deep deep admiration for the way that they've built for the sustainability of their model, despite the fact that they were just completely decimated, right? Uh, A couple of years back with player departures and things well beyond their control, including Dustin Bufflin's retirement, you know, Jacob Truba wanting to get dealt for personal reasons that actually had nothing to do with Winnipeg. You know, there were so many things outside 
of their control. They had to let a ton of you, like, I don't think they let a ton of UFAs walk. And I don't think anyone would look back and say, man, they really should have signed that Myers contract or they really should have paid Kevin Hayes. Right. Like, I mean, I think they've been disciplined. I think they've had a lot of tough breaks. Um, I think they've still like scrupulously, ruthlessly, patiently built a really strong organization. I like Paul Maurice's like, there's a lot that I like about Winnipeg. They, they're just not good enough five on five. And people talk a lot about their depth, but they ignore the fact that it's like, yeah, their third line is great and their top three players are great, but their second line, you know, like Stasny's a little long in the tooth now. I don't think Pierre-Luc Dubois is as good as his headlines. I don't think Blake Wheeler's the player that he once was. Um, you know, on and on down the list, like, I don't look at that team and say like, wow, you know, that just just because Adam Lowry, Andrew Kopp, and Mason Appleton are all killers, they've got great depth. Like, no, they've got two elite scoring wingers. They've got a really good first line center in Mark Shifley. I'm not a big fan of their second line. And they've got one of the best third lines in hockey. And I, other than Pionk, I don't like their defense. Like, I, I'm not a big Morrissey fan. Um, and then obviously they've got the goaltender. But five on five, like, they surrender so much defensively. I thought that would matter against the Edmonton Oilers. I thought the Oilers had enough overwhelming firepower to beat them. I think the Habs don't have enough firepower necessarily to beat anybody, but against Winnipeg, they might look like it because that's how permissive the Jets are at 5-on-5. Five five. Hellebuck's going to have to stand on his head again. going to be a hell of a goaltending duel between Hellebuck and, and Price, but I'm going to pick the Habs here. I think the Habs will defeat the Winnipeg Jets and end up in the Final Four. All right, well, then that leaves me no choice but to take the Jets. I already owe you a steak dinner. <laughs> How dare uh, you. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe we'll add a dessert to uh, the steak dinner. <laughs> a Billy Minor pie. <laughs> oh, now we're talking. Uh, no, I'll take the Jets. I, I, I like Blake Wheeler doesn't have to be the player that he once was. I still think uh, on the power play in some situations that uh, there's oh, you know contributions that he makes skill. to that hockey club. So I also like Blake uh, Wheeler's takes. I want to say that. Blake Wheeler has good takes. All right. Well, we'll see if uh, his Jets can take the series from the Montreal Canadiens. They get going finally. Uh, the screwy playoff that, uh, you know, just already, what are we, four days into round two? <laughs> yeah, and well, here we go with the. I know. I know. Ludicrous. So, and, um, you know, eventually they'll catch up. But because of those late season games between the, like, the Canucks and the Flames are still having an impact. Like there's a, another back to back in this series. Uh, between the Jets and the Habs, games three and four in Montreal uh, go back-to-back, the only series that has back-to-backs. And then you look at, you know, like Colorado and Vegas have had an extra day off, and I'm sure I think Vegas <laughs> can use it after going seven and getting bleached in the opener of that series. So it gave Vegas a chance to catch the breath. Uh, Montreal doesn't have that option. In fact, their schedule picks up again here uh, once they get through these first couple of games in Winnipeg. So we'll see where it goes, but finally this uh, battle for... Canada gets underway at Bell MTS Place later on this evening. Uh, But before that, it's the draft lottery. The draft lottery serves as the preamble to the opening face-off between the Canadians and the Jets. So it goes at 4 o'clock Vancouver time, and we'll see uh, what the lottery balls have in store for the Vancouver Canucks. Nothing good, J-Pat. A little bit. Nothing good. Nothing good. Well, at least we'll have... Some clarity. I won't say certainty because, of course, you can move off your draft pick. I mean, this will slot the team. But it doesn't mean that they, if they wind up ninth tonight, it doesn't mean that they're going to pick ninth. Although, uh, you know, we spend so much energy talking about trading first round picks and it just, it never happens. Like, that's one of the great differences in 
professional sports in North America, right? When you look at the NBA, you look at the NFL, and the way that first-round picks are moved at will in those leagues, and yet they are just, like, they're harnessed in hockey and, like, you know, this death grip that teams just refuse, especially top 10 picks. Like, so we can talk about teams moving up or moving down, and we always do, and yet it never happens. Very rare. Very rare these days. Um, and then, and then not to mention, like, when we've seen it happen, like the, the Duchesne deal, right? The, the pick that resulted in the Avs getting Bowen Byram, the Canucks moved their first round pick protected, right? And things get squirrely in those markets, right? Like that, there was years of panic in Ottawa about that first round pick. Quite rightly, Bowen Byram would look pretty damn good on that Senator's blue line right now. And in yeah, Vancouver no too, right? Like in Vancouver too. You know, until that pick was locked in and even after it, um, you know, people were sort of side-eyeing that deal as something that might have been reckless. And, you know, it was it was a big brass balls bet, frankly. Um, it came incredibly close to being, you know, a lottery pick for JT Miller. That would have changed the narrative around that entire trade. There's no question about it. So, you know, I understand why that is. But, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I, do you think this is the legacy of Phil Kessel? I think it's the legacy of Phil Kessel. That's my opinion anyway. We used to see it more, and now we never see it. And I think it's fundamentally about the Kessel for Sagan and Dougie Hamilton experience that Brian Burke went through in Toronto. Yeah, maybe. I, I mean, there it's just such a stark difference between the, this league and, and others. So, uh, I, you know, I'm not expecting that we'll see any movement. And certainly not going to see it tonight. Tonight's just all about the lottery balls and putting uh, the draft wheels in motion. All right, let's finish up with a pick then. Buffalo, Anaheim, Seattle, New Jersey, Columbus, Detroit, San Jose, Los Angeles, Vancouver, Ottawa. Those <laughs> We're going to pick a draft uh, lottery the, winner? Yeah, pick a, wow. pick a draft lottery winner. And I can't just pick not the Canucks. No, just throw a team. All right, so Give me a team. I'm, I'm going Detroit. All right, I'll take Columbus. Oh, I like that. Mid-pack. Both of them have less than 10%, but, uh, you know, after all that the uh, Blue Jackets have been through, they, I wouldn't mind seeing Columbus pump No, that would be a top, nice story. So. I like that. I like Owen Power for the Columbus Blue Jackets. That sounds fun. An Owen Power Gavrikov second second pair. Um, sign me up. No, I'm, I'm into that. That sounds good. I like, I like your pick better than mine. <laughs> you can't have it. Too late. It's locked in. Uh, Dave Tippett, the head coach of the Edmonton Oilers, joins Scott Burnside and Pierre Lebrun this week on the two-man advantage edition of the Athletic Hockey Show, breaking down what went on and what went wrong uh, with the Edmonton Oilers in their brief playoff stay, getting swept by the Winnipeg Jets. But uh, uh, always good to hear from uh, a National Hockey League head coach in the aftermath of uh, a playoff series like that one, the lessons learned. So uh, Dave Tippett on the two-man advantage edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. And, of course, we've been telling you, uh, the, the Athletic Hockey Show has expanded to five days a week. They've added the Prospect Series with Max Boltman and Corey Prodman. That goes on Fridays and uh, probably worth a listen, especially uh, once we know where the Canucks are going to fall when the draft lottery takes place later tonight. Hey, check out our comment section for every podcast episode that we record. Uh, you can do that at the Athletic app. Also, rate and subscribe to the Vancast on Apple. And if you're not already a subscriber, go to theathletic.com slash Vancast and receive a subscription for just $3.99 a month. Uh, lots of great content there, including uh, the draft ranking that uh, we referenced earlier in this show. So Tom's been busy since the Canucks were, uh, the Canucks season came to an end, uh, harm with the, some pieces there as well. So if you're not a subscriber, get on it. 
$3.99 a month. Go to theathletic.com slash VanCast. All right, Tom, I think uh, we'll leave it there for this episode of the VanCast. We'll see what uh, transpires later today, and uh, we'll be back with one more episode here before we are done this week. You've been listening to the VanCast at The Athletic and theathletic.com.